0: Let it be to me according to your word, and the angel departed from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you.
1: Well, good morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at our gospel reading in Luke chapter one. I think it's on page nine of your service sheet. You can feel free to follow along there. In the next few minutes, uh, we are going to look at uh, what it means when God shows up. What does it look like when God seems to interrupt our lives, and how do we respond to his presence with us? The season that we're in, uh, for a few more hours at least, the season of Advent, is a season of waiting. It's a season of anticipation. It's a season of preparation jesus is arriving the way the calendar falls this year makes today sort of a a quirky day liturgically it's both the day where we observe the angel gabriel's announcement to mary that she's going to be the mother of jesus a day we call the annunciation and it's also christmas eve anticipating the birth of jesus so within the space of 24 hours we're going to speed through at least nine months And this speeding through Mary's pregnancy is maybe appropriate for today's society and in particular New York City, where we want everything done yesterday and we chafe at any delay for any reason. We are a culture that takes pride in speed and efficiency and productivity and quick returns and not looking back. But this isn't uh, really anything new it hasn't just emerged out of nowhere in 1907 uh, the editor of the Atlantic a man named William Dean Howells wrote people are born and married and live and die in the midst of an uproar so frenetic that you would think they would go mad of it and that was over 100 years ago and if you go back even to the mid 19th century uh, a little bit further uh, the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard wrote that most men pursue pleasure with such breathless haste that they hurry past it. These are observations about culture before things like automobiles and airplanes and the internet and smartphones have shaped our lives. It seems like people have always been drawn towards busyness. Now, a lot of the innovations that I just mentioned, uh, airplanes or the internet, uh, you know they've had some positive impacts on life. I think there's a lot of people, even right now, this moment traveling to see family and friends, taking a flight maybe for a couple of hours, whereas the same trip a few hundred years ago would have taken weeks or days or maybe even months. But just because something can be done quickly doesn't necessarily mean that it is good to do it quickly. And just because it's efficient doesn't mean that it's good. And I think this is particularly true when it comes to the formation of human beings. And I'm not talking about the nine months that it usually takes for a baby to develop in the womb. I'm guessing that there's some mothers that wish that process could be made more efficient, but I'm not a mother, so I'm going to leave that alone. But what I'm thinking about is, is the moral and spiritual formation of a person, the development of character, forming our souls, For Christians, this is the process of being made to look like Jesus. It's what we call discipleship. The pastor and author Eugene Peterson, uh, writing on the state of the world just a few years ago, had this to say about it. One aspect of world that I've been able to identify as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. We assume that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. Our attention spans have been conditioned by 30-second commercials. Our sense of reality has been flattened by 30-page abridgments." He's not even commenting on uh, the 200-character limit of Twitter or X, I think it's called now, um, or maybe Instacart's 30-minute grocery delivery. But I think he identifies something that drives most areas of our lives today. It's this sense of efficiency and immediacy. A couple of years ago, we had a huge disruption to our desire for efficiency and immediacy. We had a global pandemic that quite literally disrupted pretty much all of our systems of efficiency and productivity, and in many ways, it continues to do so right up to this present moment. But it seems that in the last year or so, after we moved out of the emergency phase of the pandemic, that most of us have launched back into life with the force that is trying to make up for lost time. There's been this immense pressure to just get back to normal. External pressure, yes, but maybe also internal pressure. But what if that normal isn't good? It isn't good for you or good for others, or good for the world. Efficiency is great when we're talking about power consumption on your refrigerator, but it's terrible when it comes to something like relationships or character formation or feeding our souls. The Annunciation is a story about God's visitation. It's a story of what happens when God shows up and a story about preparation for God showing up. Not that God's absent from the world, but in a world as broken as ours, it's that we don't often see what's right there, and we often misunderstand when God is acting. There's confusion. And there's confusion in our story this morning. There's fear, even. God is doing something, and it's unexpected, and it's disruptive. God's presence breaks into the world in a way that's inefficient, at least in the ways that we think of efficiency and it's disruptive, at least to the ways we try to order our lives. And yet God's presence is the greatest gift that we could ever receive. And that's what I wanna highlight as we walk through this story of the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary with some life altering news. God's presence is inefficient, it's disruptive, and it's God's greatest gift. Our passage starts us off with an angel named Gabriel being sent sent by God to a town called Nazareth to a woman named Mary. Aside from the presence of an angel, uh, everything here actually starts out quite ordinary. Mary is betrothed to a man named Joseph. Betrothal is something that carried more weight in that culture than what we refer today as engagement. It was legally binding, both families had financial commitments, and the only way to get out of such a relationship was to get a divorce. Mary was a virgin, perfectly normal for a woman who is betrothed to be married. And then the angel Gabriel speaks. He greets her in verse 28. "Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you." And Mary pauses. She is greatly troubled, not at the fact that apparently an angel is speaking to her. No, she's troubled at Gabriel's words. Mary kind of side eyes Gabriel. Like she's thinking, whose kid is this? Is he for real? Is he trying to pull a fast one on me? Is he safe? Her guard is up because she doesn't know what's about to go down. Think about it. Mary's a young woman approached by a strange man who is neither family nor friend. She's afraid, and we can tell this by Gabriel's next words in verse 30, do not be afraid. Now this response of fear and the admonition to not be afraid is actually pretty normal in the Bible. It happens pretty much anytime God or a heavenly being appears. We're getting the sense that something unusual is about to happen. The angel repeats, you have found favor with God. Right. Well, God's been brought into this. this. This is serious. It's it's getting serious fast. And Gabriel proceeds to tell Mary that she'll have a son, what his name will be, and that he'll be the son of the Most High God. He'll be given the throne of the King of David, and that he'll rule over all of Israel in a kingdom that will never end. Okay, that's a lot. It's a little bit to take in. And Mary, maybe catching her breath, a bit taken aback, responds with a question: How will this be? since I'm a virgin. And Gabriel is ready with a response. Well, God's presence, his Holy Spirit will come upon you and make it happen. He tells her that her elderly relative Elizabeth has conceived a child in her old age and that anything is possible with God. And then Mary responds with the words, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word and Gabriel leaves. First thing that I wanna highlight here is that while there is a lot of what seems like really important, urgent, uh, world-level stuff, kingdom-level stuff being talked about, talk of God and kings and a never-ending kingdom, and there's plenty of unusual stuff, like a virgin having a baby, And even Mary's response to it being like, yeah, that's cool. I'm game. Like, let's go. Even though there's all this going on, it's striking that God chooses such an ordinary way of entering into his creation, into the world. Jesus, the son of the most high God, is conceived in Mary's womb. And like most of us, he'll develop for nine months before being born. He'll go on to live a normal human life going through childhood and adolescence, and on into adulthood. He's actually given a fairly common name for the time, Jesus. And it's precisely in this ordinary way that God chooses to be present in the world. It's a way of working in the world that seems rather slow and unremarkable and inefficient for long periods of time. The gospels are records of his life. Barely mention him as a child. They skip about 30 years of his life before he begins gathering disciples and preaching good news. And all of this happens after hundreds and hundreds of years of the people of Israel waiting for someone who will sit on the throne of King David. Someone who'd rule justly and bring peace. Seems that for some reason God isn't in much of a hurry. But even if we just stick to our passage, it's a remarkable thing that the God who created the universe would bother growing in a womb. Surely God could find some way to speed up the process. Like the fate of the world hangs in the balance. I think this pushes back on our desire for speed and efficiency and productivity. God works in ordinary, sometimes painfully ordinary, slow to us ways. And it's not that there won't be extraordinary moments. This whole event that we're reading about is an extraordinary moment. But it's part of a long, slow process, and we're part of a much bigger story. The second thing that I want to highlight here is that God's presence is very disruptive. It upsets the rhythms and conventions of life. And again, I'm not just talking about having a baby. Babies do that. But there's more going on here than that. After the angel Gabriel tells Mary that she will conceive and have a baby boy and that this boy will be a really big deal, Mary asks, how can this be, since I'm a virgin. Mary's question is surely one of wonder as to how this thing can happen, but at the same time it's a question of concern, even fear you may have heard that oftentimes it gets pointed out that Jesus was born to a single unwed mother, that in Jesus we see a God that identifies with the poor and the marginalized. I think that is true, that God does have a particular concern for the poor and marginalized of the world. And he does not shy away from entering the parts of the world that many of us hold in contempt or discomfort. But what is interesting here is that Mary and Joseph seem to be doing all right before the angel shows up, before God shows up. Sure, their hometown, Nazareth, was kind of a no-name town in the middle of nowhere. And they certainly aren't wealthy. Later on, we find out that when they go to the temple to give an offering according to the law of the Lord for the birth of their firstborn child, they give a pair of turtle doves, which is what was allowed if you couldn't afford a larger animal sacrifice but there's no indication that they're outcasts or anything like that. But what's going to happen? What's going to happen when Mary starts showing her baby bump before the wedding? That's gonna be scandalous. That's going to be shameful. We even find out that when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he decided to quietly divorce her until an angel appeared to him and convinced him not to do that. What's shocking here is that the presence of Jesus that causes the marginalization that Joseph and Mary it, that the, the presence of Jesus is what causes the marginalization that Joseph and Mary would face. Mary is going to have to bear the stigma of being an unwed mother because of God's presence with her. And so there's probably a million things going through Mary's mind at this moment. But this is a big one. A number of years ago, um, I was supposed to meet up with a friend of mine over at a high school down in Brooklyn, and I'd never been down to that particular part of Brooklyn, and when I showed up, it was one of those huge high schools with with like 3,000 students. And I knew my friend was was meeting a teacher at the school, but uh, when I got there, the front doors were shut and because it was after dismissal and Uh, There was this group of teenagers that was hanging out by the front fence so I walked up to them and I asked them if they knew my friend Johnny Lopez I don't know what caused me to ask them that because there was really no reason why they should know him but one guy who kind of acted like he was in charge of the group um, he looked at me and he's like well maybe I do maybe I don't Uh, who are you Right? and i kind of got where he was coming from like he wasn't sure if you could trust me or what my intentions were should i actually find johnny maybe maybe uh, i had some beef with him or something but uh, I, I tried to explain to him like well i'm a pastor uh, and and he and his friends looked at me and and they're like prove it and, and so so i was like uh sure uh how do i do that um and so what they did is they just started asking me all kinds of questions about God and Jesus and, and, and Mary. And, and as I was able to answer them, you know, they're they kind of like, OK, like, he, he seems like he, he's real. Um, and then they, they came, kind of came out of left field and he hit me with this question. He's like, what does God think about abortion? And, and I, was, I, was, I was like thinking, where was that coming from? And, and I was also thinking, where is Johnny Lopez? Um <laughs> But uh, anyways, we had uh, had quite a discussion about God and life and all kinds of things that are wrapped up in that question that he asked. Uh, and As the group started to scatter, that one guy motioned to me to step aside from everyone. And he kind of came up to me and he, he said, you know, the, the reason I asked you that question uh, is because uh, I just found out my girlfriend's pregnant. And she's got a, an, uh, an appointment at the clinic and uh, she's going to end the pregnancy tomorrow. And I don't know what to do. Um, Cause I, I think I might want to keep this kid, but I don't know um, what I can do. And like, this would change everything. And like, I'm only 15. And I could see, see the fear in his eyes, right? Um, the helplessness, the confusion. I I think it's this sense of helplessness and confusion and weightiness that's the kind of thing that's going through Mary's mind. This changes everything. and, And like, am I ready for this? On the one hand, Mary is being invited to a place of immense honor, to bear the Son of God into the world. But the manner in which it's happening seems to be the opposite. Following God's inefficient paths, it seems, will often lead to the margins. And I don't mean that, like, we need to all pack up and move to the roughest, most impoverished neighborhood we can find. Maybe you do. I I don't know. But what I see here is that following Jesus will marginalize you in the eyes of the world wherever you are and wherever he plants you. Here's, Here's what I'm getting at. And following Jesus can be a difficult path. Consenting to let God be the one in control of your life is a big deal. And it's going to reconfigure everything. Relationships, finances, social standing, friendships, priorities, family, your schedule, everything. Nothing's off the table. And in many ways, it will not mean an easy life. It could mean not choosing to make as much money as possible by any means available. It could mean spending meaningful time with people who don't have anything to offer you back in terms of social standing or job opportunities. Or maybe spending time with people who will just get in the way of social standing. Maybe it means spending extra time with people who are serving you rather than going to uh, the people who are right at the top. Maybe it's just spending time with someone who's suffering or struggling maybe it's spending time in solitude and silence just to be in God's presence. This isn't about seeking out people I considered marginalized as some kind of charitable gesture that's part of my Christian duty or doing things that that just don't make sense. This is realizing that following Jesus means I'm surrendering my whole life to God and that might not involve living the American dream. But what is it? that moves Mary from fear and confusion to being able to say, let it be to me according to your word. I think the answer is in verse 35. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. It's quite simply the promise of God's presence. Now there's a lot going on here in just a few words. On the one hand, the Holy Spirit coming upon you refers us back to the story of creation, where God's the one who breathes life into humanity, the Spirit's hovering over the face of the deep. And on the other hand, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, is an image of the glory of God, the weighty presence of God that descended on Mount Sinai to Moses, that filled the temple. This is God coming to dwell with us something that we we uh prayed in in the psalm earlier first god comes to mary and in this wondrous act of new creation by his spirit the son of god enters into the world as a baby god's not maliciously directing mary into a precarious situation from afar but he's entering into the darkest depths of humanity right there with her And in doing so, he's affirming the dignity of humanity, made in the image of God, being restored to the image of God in Jesus. This baby will grow up and take on the sin of the whole world and reconcile humanity to God through his death on the cross and his resurrection to new life. And he invites all of us to give him that consent to do a work of new creation in each one of us to yield control of our lives to God who made and who sustains all things. Without that deep work of God's Spirit in us, made accessible to all through Jesus, we'll never move beyond the doubt and fear that drives us to live frenetic, overly busy, maybe even fearful lives. God's presence humbles us. It lifts us up from our lowly estate and brings down the mighty from their thrones as Mary will sing later on in Luke's gospel. If you're with us tonight, we're all gonna pray that together at the Christmas Eve service. But as we're thinking ahead to Christmas, right? It's right around the corner. As we're thinking about Jesus coming into the world, let's open ourselves up to the deep work that he wants to do within us and let's seek to live as Jesus' disciples. Let's learn from Mary, the mother of Jesus, but also a disciple of Jesus. Amen.
0: Hello everyone, my name is Jim Saladin.
1: I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, Our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ.
0: If you're here in New York
1: City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel, And if you'd like to contribute, please visit
0: www.emanuelanglicannyc.com give.